Remember, there's good, there's better, and there's blue. This episode is blue. You can take blue in many directions. There are at least two films where a woman's blue dress is in the title. In many other films, blue is shorthand for the profession of law enforcement. The word blue can stand in for the ocean. In songs, it usually means sadness. It can also symbolize truth, like our Juicy Truth segment coming up a little later. This is The Blueprint. Listen. Early in my professional career, I thought I might get ahead by taking on the job of manager of a night crew at a graphics company. I did alright, but one night I did get a lesson. Some of my help convinced me to head out early from work and go down a few doors to a bar. When I got back to close up the office, it was like a bad dream. The office was filled with low-flying clouds. One of the pieces of equipment we used was a diazo machine, which was a giant processor that made blueprints. It was connected to pressurized cylinders of ammonia, and the valve on the cylinder needed to be tightened down with a wrench. Someone must have cranked the tank all the way open before we left. The problem with an industrial accident like this is that people don't normally breathe ammonia. I remember fighting through the gas to reach the tank and closing it up. Ammonia gas burns your eyes and lungs. Luckily, the unpleasant atmosphere was the only punishment I received. The air cleared and without anyone realizing that for a short time the office looked like the surface of Venus.
Once there was a goddess on a mountain top. Shocking Blue was a Dutch group that really took off after they added a woman lead singer. She was a dark-haired beauty and Veris was her name. Mariska Veris, soul-tinged voice, gave the Shocking Blue a distinctive R&B sound. The other members combined the rhythm and blues with psychedelic elements like the Indian sitar. The band's striking name was inspired by an Eric Clapton lyric from Strange Brew. Electric Blue. Shocking Blue signed with the Pink Elephant label and released Venus in 1969. The melody and rhythm for Venus were based on the banjo song that sounded like this. This ditty was by The Big Three, a folk group containing Mama Cass Elliot, who later would help make up the Mamas part of the Mamas and the Papas. If you listen closely, you can hear they're singing the lyrics to Oh Susanna. So they obviously had a great tune and grafted the old folk song onto it. It's lucky for the planet that Shocking Blue had some cool lyrics that needed a tune. Those Netherlanders stripped away those tired Stephen Foster lyrics from that slammin' groove and added their own mythological woman worship. The song Venus rocketed the band to stardom. It also boosted the hopes of many other artists from their home country, The Hague, the Netherlands, and proved there were no national barriers in pop music. If you're going to turn a song into a commercial for a ladies' shaver... I don't think you could do better. Wow! She's got it! Yeah, baby, she's got it! Well, I'm your Venus, I'm your fire, but you're desire. Mmm, man, dig that crazy chick. Welcome to the Juicy Truth. I'm Rotwang, 
Today's juicy truth will be a little different. I have no one to bounce my thoughts off of. I'm all alone in blue. But that's appropriate because tonight I'll be drinking Bridgeview Blue Moon Oregon Riesling 2009. Blue Moon, you saw me standing alone without a dream in my heart. Without a love of my own Blue moon You know just what I was there for You heard me saying a prayer for Someone I really could care for Then suddenly This review will be quite short. I have no other opinions to listen to, so I can just lay out what I thought of the wine for you fairly quickly. I paired this with a pork chop. It went very well together with that. Let me talk a little bit about Riesling. Riesling is associated with Germany and the Rhine River. It's a cold climate grape and it's harvested usually in November in Germany. Riesling is one of the six noble grapes which include Sauvignon Blanc, Chardonnay in the whites, and Pinot Noir, Cabernet Sauvignon, and Merlot in the reds. About the label. First of all, the bottle is blue. It uh, has a crescent moon with stars around it. The blue of the moon is uh, a hole in the label that goes through to the bottle outlined in silver. The label says, drink by the light of the silvery moon. Now, I was curious about why Riesling is sold in blue bottles, and it's not universally sold this way, but you will find quite a few. From my research, the answer is a German company started doing this as a marketing ploy, and other companies just uh, copied them. This is Bridgeview Blue Moon Oregon Riesling 2009. This is a straw-colored white wine. The color was excellent. It got 10 points. Riesling can be a touch green, and this one I did see a little bit of green in there. Clarity was perfect. Gave it a 10. The body was very light. It was a very hot day today, so uh, this a lighter-bodied white wine uh, cooled me off quite nicely. The body, I'm giving an 8. It took some time to find the aroma. It is pleasant, but I can't name a scent. Since the aroma is so faint, I'm only giving this Riesling 5 points. I can't detect much alcohol in the wine. It has 12% by volume. I drank half of the bottle myself, a bit more than I usually do for a review, but I didn't feel any intoxication. And more important, the alcohol didn't harm the taste at all. I'm going to give the alcohol balance eight points. Uh, the taste notes uh, fared better with eight points. I actually did taste a flavor and that flavor was apricots, which I'm a fan of apricots. But I find this flavor too sweet. 
I like apricots tart. This might be the sugary fruit roll-up of apricots. I served this swine warmer than suggested for a Riesling. 52 degrees would have been better. I started drinking it at uh, 58 degrees. This Riesling is touted as a medium dry. What's the difference between a medium dry and medium sweet? I don't know. It's a partly cloudy distinction. Rieslings do come in a wide variety from dry to sweet. So I could find a Riesling that was more to my taste, I think. It did seem to have a little bit of an aftertaste, not too pleasant. You don't want to have a bitter aftertaste if you're going to drink a wine this sweet. That might have been helped if it was served cold. I'm wondering if there is a difference between aftertaste and finish. If there is, it might be a matter of time. I say this because with the blue moon, if I pause for some time, we'll say 10 minutes, there's a sweet taste in my mouth, but only 10 seconds after a sip and a swallow, there's a bitter medicinal flavor like an artificial sweetener leaves. The acidity is another low category. I think I would like this if it had a little more acid bite to it. As a consequence, I have to give the acid balance score for Blue Moon six points. Complexity was low, six points. Uh, I know that this wine is fermented in stainless steel barrels that they say were jacketed. What I take that to mean is that they were insulated to stay cold. Not a lot of complexity here, although I think Riesling as a wine can be made complex, but maybe not at this price point. The price was for this bottle was uh, around $9. We will give that full marks 10 points. The overall score for this wine is 79 points. Not too bad. So that was your juicy truth. Bridgeview has a novelty bottle of Riesling. It's blue and it's in the shape of a crescent moon with your traditional man in the moon face in profile. You can see this at the Bridgeview website. It would make a nice gift for someone who collects bottles and is interested in a somewhat sweet white wine. And now, a word from our sponsor, RightWells.com. RightWells.com offers a variety of online writing and editing services for both professional and creative projects. They work with your deadlines at competitive rates. From line edits to consultations for plot development, they will help bring your vision to life. Contact the editor at writewells.liz at gmail.com.
It's time to give the answers to last episode's movie quiz. And the answer to episode 16 is in this next clip. With a title like Joe vs. the Volcano, one is tempted to ask, who wins? It's the vol- you can't stop a volcano. A volcano's a volcano. You can only go down and face it. Once you face it, then you're done. I believe this was the first pairing of Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. In my book, this is the best. I wouldn't say this was a full-on romantic comedy. It was written by the same author who penned Moonstruck, John Patrick Stanley, but the romantic elements in Joe are secondary to the existential decisions made. The author also directed the film, so he's very much responsible for this perfect little movie. It did not do well in the theaters. Maybe the philosophical aspects taking precedence hurt its popularity. There's also a layer of symbolism that many moviegoers may not process in one viewing. I had noticed the lightning bolt symbol reappears throughout the film, and of course Meg Ryan plays three separate characters along Joe's journey, but, but a duck in a building also repeat. There are three Great Danes appearing at two times in the film, I'm not sure they have any significance, but to reinforce the pattern. You can visit www.mindspring.com backslash tilde sign Waponi, that's W-A-P-O-N-I, a website dedicated to the film, and find some heady analysis. Joe vs. the Volcano can be enjoyed without thinking too hard, but it's fun to find there's added depth. I bought the DVD for just a few dollars at a thrift store. It's time for the chapter and verse quiz, and before we start, I just want to uh, explain that number 11 will not be joining me today for the quiz. She is taking a road trip to break it up a little bit. I've added a few more clips than usual. This chapter is 6 minutes and 28 seconds long. The chapter title would be a clue. We're going to shorten it and call it The Guest of the Countess. Your clues, besides the fact that this has something to do with our theme, All Blue, are these. The film was released in 1966. It is filmed in widescreen Technicolor. Nearly all of the dialogue is in English, but the actors are playing the Germans. The accents of the actors are all over the map. English, German, American, Swiss. I'm going to gloss over the beginning of the chapter because although there's quite a bit of interesting camera movement, the opening scenes are about a boring party where there's hardly any action or meaningful dialogue. So here we go. In a huge ballroom, we see our two stars. There's a close-up of one and then the other. They're sitting at the opposite ends of a very long table. Both are looking at the other discreetly and sipping wine. There's quite a bit of drinking in this movie. Schnapps, pink champagne, and white wine are mentioned outright. The table is filled with fancy food, candelabras, and crystal goblets. Servants in tailcoats circle the table, ready to pour coffee or wine for the many guests. There are approximately 50 guests. There is a crossfade from our hero sitting at the table. 
we'll call him Cobra, to the shot of the last few guests picking up their coats and hats inside the main hallway and saying goodnight to the hostess or the countess. She was at the opposite end of the table glimpsing at Cobra earlier in the evening. As the last guest leaves, the countess spies a hat and pair of gloves left on the hall table. This hall is another great space in this huge mansion. It might be a castle. The front hall has columns and the floor is marble. There's a chandelier at the top of the frame. The countess asks with surprise, Hans, to her butler. There's the sound of a snare drum coming from upstairs. The scene is shot from above. She asks what the sound is and Hans replies, It sounds like a drum, countess. And now the camera moves up and away to follow as the countess takes to the stairs. There's a hint of smile as she marches past the camera, almost to the beat of the drum. We all know who she will find. There's a cut to the upper hall that precedes the countess turning into the center frame. Again, we see the impressive rooms of the castle. High ceilings and flocked wallpaper. The technicolor comes into play, showing the beauty of the decor. The rooms are separated by color. The countess walks towards the camera, followed by her butler at a distance. The camera pans 90 degrees to the left as the countess enters another hallway. This hall is lined by suits of armor. We see that Cobra is, of course, the drummer. He sits in a chair that's between a pyramid stack of field drums and a small cannon. The countess gives a little laugh when she sees him. He steps around the cannon, still holding the field drum, and sticks the helmet on the end of the cannon. He bows to the countess and wishes her a good evening. Then he repeats himself, adding that it's the first chance he's had to speak with her. He also wishes the butler a good evening. He aggressively pushes the drum into the hands of the butler. The countess corrects Cobra by telling him it's now morning. He says, Good morning. That late? I must have fallen asleep during your speech. Hans, so mine for the musician. White. Cobra tells the butler he wants white wine. He puts his wine goblet on top of the drum that the butler still holds and dings the glass with his drumstick. He points the stick at the butler's face, and they turn away from each other. Cobra follows the countess deeper into the hall of armor. He clicks the drumsticks together in a Latin beat behind his back. The countess sits down in the center of the hall and center frame. Cobra circles around behind her. He says he might as well tell her she's beautiful. She returns the compliment. He makes a skeptical noise and asks where her husband is. Cobra is facing a suit of armor and strikes the plating like a symbol. He sits down adjacent to the countess. She looks over her shoulder to see Cobra. He looks ahead at the armor. The camera pushes in, getting closer. She says, oh, he doesn't worry about me. Cobra turns his head around now. He's surprised when he says he doesn't. Then Cobra says, hmm, well, he should. He takes one drumstick and drags it down the front of the countess from her jaw to her chest. The stick rakes the beads on the front of her gown. 
there's a cut. The camera angle changes to a 45 degree angle between them, so they sit shoulder to shoulder facing the camera. The camera is also tight now on the couple. To look at each other, they need to angle their heads. Cobra strokes the countess's neck with a drumstick. She explains that her husband is with another countess, and that this countess was at the dinner party earlier sitting on her right. She goes on demonstrating that she knows all the details of her husband's latest tryst. Cobra looks at his watch. She says that her husband and the other countess play war games together. Cobra continues to stroke the stick up and down the countess. He asks, these games go on till morning? She says very dreamily, sometimes. Sometimes. My husband finds them very absorbing. It's a very heavy responsibility being a general. That depends how good you are at tactics. She takes his stick hand and rises. She leads him to his feet and they walk out of the armor hallway towards us. She wraps her arm in his as they reach the hall that leads to the stairs, the Countess turns abruptly to face Cobra and holds out her hand royally. It is ready to be kissed in a farewell gesture. She addresses him formally. He looks down at her hand and hesitates. He then bows to kiss her hand. We hear his boot heels click. The Countess turns and exits out of frame to the left. She has a self-satisfied smile. Cobra remains in center frame and nods his head a little. He starts to follow her. He starts hitting his drumsticks together again. There is a cut and we see the Countess halfway down the hall, retreating into another part of the castle. We also see the back of Cobra as he follows. On his left is the drum he was playing earlier, his old wine glass still resting on top. The butler must have left it there. Cobra sees the drum and begins to play a jazzy rhythm. There's a close-up of the Countess as she half turns around. She looks at Cobra and gives him a bit of a smile, but she tosses her head in a dismissive gesture. There's a cut back to Cobra. He gives a slight bow but makes no pretense of leaving. There's a cut back to the Countess as she turns away and continues walking. The camera pans down to the Countess's caboose, and we hear Cobra beat the drum, keeping time with her walk. She continues to walk and not look back, but gives a playful twirl of her sash. The impression is quick, but for an instant she was no longer a countess, but more a burlesque performer. Cobra continues to drum as the countess walks through and slams the door behind her. Cobra smiles, and we see the butler returning with Cobra's wine on a tray. Cobra takes the wine bottle and pours a drink and hands it to the butler. On the soundtrack, a comical German waltz begins to play. (laughs) 
Cobra clinks the wine bottle to the goblet held by the butler, and they both drink. Cobra and the butler march down the hall together towards the countess's room. As they reach the door, Cobra takes the tray of wine and bottle from the butler. He steps to the side and hides behind a drape. The servant Hans reluctantly knocks at the door. We hear the countess say, come in. The servant Hans opens the door, then we hear the countess say, darling, I knew you would come. She comes around the door, her hair is down and she is wearing a nightgown. She is surprised to see the butler. Her servant Hans stands awkwardly by. We hear a throat clear and Cobra steps from behind the curtain with a huge grin on his face. He says, <coughs> Tactics? <laughs> oh, you fool. <laughs> Cobra hands the tray back to the butler. The countess's smile covers her face. She calls Cobra a fool. She stamps her foot like a child would do to say, You tricked me. The camera dollies backwards in front of the servant as he leaves. Behind him we see Cobra enter the countess's bedroom and they close the door. The servant turns around as the door slams and gives a knowing smile. Inside the bedroom the lights are low. The soundtrack turns into a quiet piano, quiet and slow. It is taken up by the strings. The Countess and Cobra start to remove their clothes. They turn around each other. The camera gets very close. It shoots up from below them. We see their faces go in and out of the light. We see Cobra's hand untie one shoulder of the Countess's gown. She spins away in one revolution like she's dancing out of her nightgown. They are soon bare but we see nothing but shoulders because the camera is so close. They embrace and kiss, and Cobra lowers the Countess to the bed. The scene fades into an early morning scene outside. A row of airplanes with propellers and struts are parked waiting in the mist. Wow. That chapter got a little steamy at the end. Do you know this movie? Hear the answer in episode 18. Extra points if you can tell why I've used the name Cobra for our hero. The musical bed you're hearing is called Haunted by Kim Schutterley. You can contact us by email. Our address is mail at rotcast.com. You can read the Rotcast blog at www.venostalgia.com. Our Skype name is Call Rotcast. That's C-A-L-L-R-O-T-C-A-S-T. Visit the website to learn more about the wines and link to more content. Listen next time when you will hear... I've heard of you, Wilson. What have you heard, Shane? I heard you are a low-down Yankee liar. And that the next Rockcast will be about cowboys. 
prove it. Wilson, all right. He was fast. Fast on the draw. Joey, what are you doing here? I'm sorry, Shane. I thought Rodcast 18 had started. You don't have to be. This is still the end of Rodcast 17. You better run back. Can I ride home behind you? I'm afraid not. I've got to be moving on. But Mom wants you. I know she does. Shane. Shane. Come back, Shane.